a leader whose influence transformed education in South Dakota. From SDPB Radio, today is Friday, August 25th. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, we get to know Pam Homan ahead of her induction into the South Dakota Hall of Fame. We explore four steps to supporting your students' mental health needs as they go back to school. Thea Ryan joins us in the studio to talk about lifelong learning and upcoming opportunities for adult education. Plus, artist Claire Lockhart steps outside for a new exhibition. We are delighted to welcome Miss Art World South Dakota back to the program that's coming to you from Vermilion later in the hour. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. It's been a full year since a Native American woman was shot and killed by a man who claims he acted in self-defense. The Pennington County State's attorney says she will decide soon on how to proceed with the case. But new state laws make that choice more complicated. SDPB's Lee Strubinger reports. When Edelyn Catches went to Angostura recently, it brought up some memories of her daughter's last birthday party. Catches remembers how much fun they had on the water. We got a pontoon and rode that whole lake all day into the night. That was fun. Had a cookout. They're good memories she almost forgotten over the last year. For a moment, her daughter A.C. Morrison was right there with her. A lot of things I didn't even remember. We were sitting there talking and laughing and I said, yeah, I could just close my eyes and I could just hear her just laugh and crack up. Catches says the two laughed a lot together, but everything changed when 30-year-old Morrison was shot and killed in Rapid City last September. Catches, who lives in Oglala, says her transgender daughter was a stable force in the family who many leaned on. And she never was, never, never, ever was scared to show who she was. Never, she never tried to hide it, never tried to be, you know, what they say, in the closet or whatever, but she was always, always outgoing and proud of who she was. The Pennington County Sheriff's Office completed its investigation of the shooting a while ago. Edelyn says she's still waiting to hear from law enforcement about whether they'll announce charges against the man. I'm tired of being angry and tired of... I know crying and there's no closure, just just all unanswered questions. According to the Pennington County State's Attorney, the defendant claims the shooting was self-defense. We're not naming the man because he's not been charged with a crime. So the difficulty that presents in this case is we know we have a homicide case. That's Pennington County State's Attorney Laura Retzel. And we have a thorough investigation that indicates a first-degree manslaughter. But at the same time, you have a thorough investigation that indicates a strong potential self-defense claim. So as the state's attorney, I'm called... Retzel says she's balancing those competing interests. Further, she's required to present evidence in a pretrial hearing with a clear and convincing standard. 
Retzel says she's leaning towards presenting the case to an investigative grand jury. That means she must present each side of the case. Present both all of the um, strong evidence in favor of a first-degree manslaughter charge while also fairly presenting the affirmative defense of self-defense to see what a grand jury, which is, you know, 10 citizens pulled from Pennington County, um, where they feel it lands. And then we know that the legislature has created the additional hurdle of a pretrial hearing where a court would have to entertain that same issue. The state updated its self-defense laws in 2021 and 2022, putting in place stand-your-ground laws. South Dakota's law now mirrors Florida's, which was used by George Zimmerman to defend his killing of Trayvon Martin more than a decade ago. The law says a person is presumed innocent if they use deadly force to stand his or her ground when they fear for their life, even in a public space. Samantha Chapman is a lawyer with the ACLU South Dakota. She says standard ground laws nationwide have created needless deaths and work against communities of color. Standard ground laws rarely benefit a marginalized community. Generally, those are for to protect, you know, white landowners. Republican State Senator John Wick is one of the prime sponsors of the updates to South Dakota's law. In 2021, he spoke from the Senate floor saying firearm owners need clarity in situations where the worst things are happening. We want to know what we can and can't do because firearm owners, concealed carry firearm owners are law-abiding good people. And we need to know where the lines are because we don't want to cross them. One year later, Wick defended the law as legislators considered additional changes. They approved a requirement that when a self-defense claim is used, prosecutors must prove to a judge that a homicide case should go forward with clear evidence that shows self-defense was not at play. The sky did not fall in Florida. The sky did not fall in South Dakota. Meanwhile, state's attorney Retzel says she's committed to meeting with the family members before deciding on how to handle charges in the case. She plans to proceed by mid-September. I'm SDPB's Lee Strubinger in Rapid City. As students head back to the classroom, let's pause to um, get a reminder on how to check up on their mental health throughout the year. There are little things all of us can do to protect the emotional and mental health of South Dakota's young people. Vanessa Barnes is Assistant Director at the Department of Social Services Division of Behavioral Health, and she stopped by the SDPB Kirby Family Studio to talk about this important and powerful conversation. Vanessa, thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love back to school. Um, it is a great time of year. I love the school supplies. I love the first day of school. I was just one of those kids who loved school. But there are a lot of pressures and challenges, and everybody um, navigates school differently. So tell me a little bit about, in South Dakota, why it's important calendar time to stop and say, how do we take care of our students' mental health? Yeah, absolutely. This is a really great time of year, and it's always so, so, so important to talk about mental health. Mental health is such a crucial component to our overall health, yet it's often a hushed topic of discussion, largely due to the stigma that's long surrounded it. Um, it's important to realize that mental health amongst our youth is common. It affects about one in five people. 
Um, the stigma, however, often prevents these youth from seeking the treatment they need, um, isolating themselves and potentially worsening their conditions, which could potentially lead to suicide. So normalizing these conversations and starting these conversations at the start of the school year um, empowers the youth to get the help that they need and the support that they deserve. Do you think we're making progress on the conversation? It doesn't feel like we're making progress on preventing suicide because the numbers seem to be going up, but I should check the accuracy of that statement. Are suicide numbers rising in young people? Yeah, absolutely. So suicide is a serious public health issue amongst, you know, the entire nation, and it's something we take very seriously in South Dakota. Um, you know, 2022 data isn't quite finalized yet, but we are seeing the data trending lower than 2021, uh, which is really great to see because uh, suicide in South Dakota in 2021 was the 10th leading cause of death, and amongst our youth, even more concerning, it was the first leading cause of death. Wow. All right, so let's talk about what we can all do. What's first? We're going to go through four steps. Let's talk about four steps to make it uh, memorable for listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So the first step is to just ask. The easiest way to find out if somebody is experiencing a mental health challenge is just to ask them. Um, start that conversation, reach out, and offer that support, making sure that our youth are feeling valued, heard, seen, and cared for. Uh, it's important to remember that it's okay to ask, are you thinking of suicide? Asking this question in this direct, non-judgmental way um, can open the door for effective conversation and ultimately could save a life. All right. Step two, listen. Step, yeah. yeah. Step two is listen. Um, by listening, you can show support and offer help to youth in an open and non-judgmental way. Um, let them talk. This isn't a time necessarily that we need to give the youth advice. They just need to see, feel heard. Um, and validate them and letting them know that um, you're here for them today, tomorrow, and in the future. That can be hard because the, you take, you're empathetic. You take on the pain of someone that you care about, especially if it's your child. Absolutely. I, it is really hard. I think naturally as humans, we're all problem solvers, and that's yeah. kind of what we go to. Um, and in this time, they just need to feel listened and cared for. All right. Step three. Step three is keeping them safe and connecting them with help. If somebody is thinking about suicide and they have voiced a plan to do so, it's incredibly important to keep them safe by being physically present with them. Help separate them from the situation or anything that they could use to harm themselves. Um, and then connecting them with help. We have a really great resource here in South Dakota, 988. Um, it's available via call, text, and chat, and it is 24-7 access to trained mental health professionals that are able to de-escalate situations, um, follow up with them, and uh, connect them with help of, that are, is available in their area. All right, step four. Step four is the final step. It's follow-up. So checking in on a regular basis, making that plan to check in with them, continuing to show that you care and that you're there for them. Um, it's important to recognize that this ongoing and consistent support does matter to our youth. Do you find that students are talking to other students? Are there peer-to-peer -peer, um, ways to support one another? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. We oftentimes see that youth feel more comfortable going to youth rather than other adults. Uh, so it's important for youth to get trained in these skills as well. In South Dakota, we offer trainings for adults serving youth as well as youth. Um, to be able to destigmatize the conversation and feel comfortable talking to their peers um, and feel equipped with the skills that they need to help their peers. Yeah. Do you think, let's go back to the beginning where we uh, pull apart this idea that asking is a dangerous thing to do. Maybe the older that you are, the more this is embedded in your brain to say, like, don't bring it up. Don't plant the idea in somebody's head. Don't give them any thoughts on how to proceed with things. 
But the, the research shows that asking, how are you, is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. The myth of if I ask, then it will plant the seed in their head and give them the idea of suicide um, is proven to be a myth, although it was historically um, something that people believed in. Uh, so it's really important for people to know that that is a myth. And if they have a sense that maybe something isn't right, asking, how are you? Um, is there anything I can do to help and offering that consistent support? Yeah. 988 one more day, one more breath. The, the, the big thing that is, is going on for you right now may not be going on for you tomorrow. But if it is, you're not alone and people are going to help you get through it. You are a valuable human being, regardless of how much <laughs> trouble you might be in right now or how hard your day is. So share that with people that you love. Vanessa Barnes, thank you for the work that you're doing um, on behalf of all the, the kids in the state of South Dakota, the parents and really all of us, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. You are listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, everyone can learn something new, no matter their age. That is the founding philosophy of the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. The National Adult Learning Organization has 125 locations across the country, and that includes the best one, South Dakota. South Dakota, <laughs> that's right. includes <laughs> a program at the University of South Dakota. Thea Ryan is the director of OLLI at USD, and she's with me now in the studio here Thank in you. Sioux Falls. Welcome back. Thank you. It's been a while. I love it. So I just love you and OLLI together just makes me still feel, I mean, Thanks. you've been with them for quite some time four now. Four years now. Yeah. yeah, four years this week. Yes. Tell people a little bit about the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. Well, like you said right away, there are 125 of us in the nation, and we're all affiliated with a university. So it's a great place to go and learn because continuing to learn is so important for your brain. You don't want to retire, and you you will give you a a little bit of time to just relax and do nothing. (laughs) But but don't let the cobwebs start forming because it's not good for you. It's not good. It's not healthy. So gathering in person, gathering virtual, um, uh, uh, all kinds of different opportunities for learning. But talk about what's happening in adult learning um, especially for people over 50, right? That's when <laughs> right. it starts, <laughs> which is not that old. Well, actually, but you don't have to be 50 to take our classes. Okay. Um, what it requires is that you're available during the week um, and weekdays because that's when our classes are. But we offer classes in everything you can imagine, history, health, wellness, writing, art, literature, my favorite. Um, we do tours and travel science, math, technology. It's just all the fun parts of college, the class part, but there's no tests mm-hmm. and there's no uh, no grades. So it's just for fun. So just the learning happens. You can macrame or you can study banned books. That's exactly right. <laughs> banned books is one of our biggest classes right now. It's Tell me a little bit about that class and why it's, it's such a, uh, how you decide to pull in topics that everybody wants to know a little something about right now. Yeah. Well, you know, if you just if you just pay attention to what's happening out there in the world right now, there's so much talk about banned books. And I'm a reader myself and I'm very fanatic about about uh, reaching people with banned books. So um, it's something that I know other people are, too. So we offer a class in cooperation with Reach Literacy and a brewing company here in town. And uh, we 
talk about, we bring in two speakers to discuss a certain book a month. So one speaker would talk about the topic of the book, and one person would talk about why that book was banned. Why is it important to you, as someone who is coordinating and curating the classes, that people spend time thinking about um, the First Amendment and about literature and about book banning? Like that's a that's a big thing to put forward and say like we're this is important to discuss. Let's have a conversation. It's important. Um, it, it's important in so many ways. It's important to me personally, having come from a journalism background. You know that's that's all a that's part of my uh, my upbringing, I guess. But it's also important in the world that we live in right now. It is so important to help people understand what their rights and what their what they can do in these times. Yeah. What else is on, on the list that jumps out to you as something that is particularly timely or interesting to people? Uh, well, for example, we do classes in Brookings, in Vermilion, and in Sioux Falls, and on Zoom. So uh, in Brookings, I marked that there's one um, that they're doing, some SDSU people are doing, about uh, the look at chemical additives and consumer products. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're hearing a lot about that and how it's affecting our young people today, uh, how it's affecting their health and their, their minds. And they're actually going to be looking straight into that and, and letting us know what the latest research is on that. Yeah. Um, another one we have in South Dakota or in Sioux Falls is the spiritual tapestry of South Dakota. Hmm. We have offered this class over and over and it keeps filling and filling every time. But, um, our instructor for that class will be talking about the Ocheti Sakuin, the, uh, Judaism, uh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, paganism, and new age spiritual aspects of people here in South Dakota. What are your hopes when people come and take a class, whether it's in Sioux Falls, Brookings, Vermilion, or on Zoom, that they interact with each other for the conversation that goes beyond beyond the classroom time? What's the impact of Ali on a community? I have a great story for that. <laughs> so we had a beginning genealogy class last last semester, this spring. And people loved it so much, and they learned so much. They said, we want to keep going on this. Can we meet on our own every once a month on Fridays and work together? So they started doing that. And one of the members of that group is a 92-year-old member of Ali. And she had been researching her family. She was adopted, and she never wanted to know anything when she was younger. But now that she's 92, she was like, I want to find out who my father is. And they went in search, and it took them to about two months. But one day, they were meeting, and I heard this giant scream. And I ran into the room. I'm like, what just happened? They're like, we found him. We found the scoundrel. We thought it was his brother, but it wasn't. And she, at 92, she found out. She heard the name of her father for the first time. Wow. You are really never too old to learn something new that will never. change your life. Right. And where can people find out about signing up for Ali and learning about the classes? Well, we do have catalogs in all the libraries around um, all three of the towns. We put them in a variety of different places. But you can always reach us online. Our email our website is www.usd.edu slash Ali, O-L-L-I. And we will put some links up to that on our website as well. Thea Ryan, always a delight. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. We'll see you next time. I love being here. Thank you. <laughs>
You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. She's an educator, administrator, and foremost, an innovator. Dr. Pam Homan spent more than 33 years in K-12 public education. She's considered one of the most effective and inventive administrators in the state of South Dakota. She is now the chief strategy officer and executive professor executive president at Augustana University. Dr. Homan will be welcomed into the 2023 South Dakota Hall of Fame for her contributions to the field of education, and she's also with me today in the Kirby Family Studio here in Sioux Falls. Pam Homan, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Congratulations on this really well-deserved honor. You've got some heavy hitters who wrote recommendation letters for you, too, so well. that's not <laughs> nothing to shake a stick at. What does a Hall of Fame mean mean for you? You know, I was just um, so completely humbled and honored and, and truly surprised. I mean, the, the day that um, John and, and Lori called me, I was driving my vehicle to tell me that I had been selected, and I nearly thought I was going to have an accident. I thought, whoa, I need to pull over here. Are you certain you're calling the right person? It was just it's a wonderful the, honor. The rest of us are certain. Um, I was just telling you before we turn the microphones on that as I look through your bio, so much of what you did in K-12 through education directly impacted my daughter, the school that she went to, the technology she had, some of the programs that she had, and that's not even counting the things that you did for her peers. Um, and I was kind of briefly overwhelmed at how much better you had made our life, and although we knew who you were as superintendent, we didn't necessarily know you personally. Do you, um, how do you sort of deal with the fact that like you're, as an administrator, you're making these decisions that um, are so important, but maybe nobody knows they were, that you were on that team or that that was an idea that generated from, from your office or your team mm -hmm. or yourself? You know, it's, for me, it's a, a personal joy to reflect on um, all the pathways we were able to implement for the children in Sioux Falls yeah. and, and really know exactly where that conversation began, how that program started. And I've often thought I should, I want to capture those some, someday, somehow, right. because it's, you know, the commitment to be able to see that every child has, should be able to succeed and they don't all learn in the same way at the same time or the same space. And so that's what it, it was really, um, allowed me the opportunity to truly try to live and breathe that yeah. for the children in Sioux Falls. From an A-plus arts integrated school to a project-based learning to a Chromebook in every kid's hand to special education and working with kids with dyslexia to behavioral, the Bridges program, mm -hmm. this is all something that... Um, that you had a lot to do with. Am I gushing? Everyone I think has, I might have every, started gushing there. Everyone has, every one of those programs has a, a fun and unique story yeah. um, behind it. Um, the Bridges program at the time, I had been in K-12 education, and I left K-12 for two years to start the day adolescent psychiatric program at a hospital in Sioux Falls, and I was hired into the school the Sioux Falls School District literally to start uh, pull together the, the behavior programs and so created it and got to name it um, the Bridges Program so that we could help those children who were just coming to school with their backpacks so filled with problems they couldn't learn. I remember one of those kids um, whom I won't name but graduated from high school and was very successful now but when he was in my, he was one of those kids that came up you know he's in class with my daughter and she's in kindergarten he's in class with her and she's in first grade and he mm -hmm. just has a lot of behavioral problems everybody knows this kid's name um, 
And they just created this loving space for him. And I remember saying to somebody, he deserves an education every bit as much as my kid who's really, you know, gifted and picking up information very quickly. Like, they're friends. And they're both trying to figure out how to get the most. uh, And you believe that. You believe that about every one of those kids who has that backpack full of problems. Every child. um, You know, one of my other greatest um, joys now as a grandmother, I have four uh, grandchildren that live in Sioux Falls, and three of them are at Sonia Sotomayor, Mm -hmm. the Spanish Immersion Program. And that started, I was in Slovakia visiting my daughter who was serving as a missionary and went into this school that was just in this remote little village, a stone throw from the Ukrainian border, and those children were learning three languages. And I remember coming home, pulling the team together, saying, our children need the opportunity to be bilingual. And so we had the conversation, and that started the beginning of the Spanish Immersion Program. Fantastic. And put it in place, and I look at what we have today, and it's just such a blessing to know that if, if a parent aspires their child to know more than one language, they can go to school and learn it. When did you know that you wanted to be you're the first female superintendent for South Dakota School District, so or for Sioux Falls School District? So you didn't necessarily have a role model in in that specific spot, but you had other role models. Who were the people that helped you believe you could be a leader? You know, I I would say that um, boy, several the teachers I had in Sioux Falls, you know, coming through. I'm, I'm a product of the Sioux Falls School District. So mm-hmm. the teachers I had from elementary to middle to high school. And then certainly um, when I was in teaching positions and administrative positions, there were key people in this, in this community in the state that would lean in um, to me and allow me opportunities, you know, the opportunity to take a risk, the opportunity to think creatively, the opportunity to try. Mm-hmm. And it just um, built on itself that built that internal confidence to say, I feel like I'm, I'm called to lead, help others go where they're not going to go alone and work as a team and make an impact for my heart hurts for the children who don't have the opportunity to see their own gifts and benefits and to flourish. Yeah. Um, you are with Augustana University right now, also my alma mater. So you've got an Augie hockey jersey <laughs> on um, or polo, I should say, not a jersey. Uh, big changes at Augustana how are people navigating, like, what is your role at Augie, and how does it all kind of intersecting with big things like hockey, but then also the academics and, and just growth at the university? Certainly. My role as the chief strategy officer and executive vice president oversees um, the ad- advancement office, the alumni relations, the strategic communications and marketing, some facilities and logistical events, as well as the um, pieces of the web and social media and the strategic plan. So when we implemented Viking Bold, there's multiple strategies and goals dealing with athletics, academics, physical campus, enrollment and strategic scholarships, and then the campaign. And so um, my job is to make certain that I have boots on the ground, I know what's happening, where, when, and how, and to keep supporting and moving things forward at the same time, thinking out of the box and thinking creatively as we work with our faculty who are just fabulous to continue to bring in new academic programs because we're committed to not be a, um, we, we, everything we do is to add value and to make certain that we've started the momentum and it's just um, gaining on itself daily and it's an exciting place to be. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you create a culture of collaboration that allows people to come up with new innovative ideas, 
but then also the ideas that can be accomplished. So, you know, we've really benefited from bringing people together and listening, listening sessions. Um, Stephanie, her Sandlin, our president, has done a tremendous job as we um, pull people together for input sessions and think creatively to think based upon data and information. What What's the future hold and what direction should we go? And really build a lot of trust that when we engage the right people around the table and listen carefully and then talk about what are the possibilities, you know, where may be the barriers and what do we need to work through and not rather, rather than tell people, engage people with us in the process. Yeah. What are some of the challenges facing higher education right now that you feel Augustana is uniquely positioned to, um, to navigate well? What we're seeing coming through um, the demographic cliff, clearly, you know, the, the college-age population will be declining on us. At the same time, we see the same things that, that were in K-12 education that are in K-12 education, this, the, the emotional needs of, of students, of society. And so Augie's positioned because of our student support services and the size of our campus and the commitment of our faculty and staff to really each student is known and supported. At the same time, we're not afraid to be innovative and recognize that the diversity of this community and the state and the region has changed, and we need to make certain that we are um, committed to a sense of diversity, equity, inclusion for all, that it doesn't, we know we don't all fit in the same box anymore. And so we've worked hard to embrace and include and bring people to the table and support them. Dr. Pam Homan, congratulations on being inducted into the South Dakota Hall of Fame. I did gush a little bit. Oh. Okay, I graduated from Augie, and you Thank helped you. my kid be successful, so everyone will forgive me for that a little bit. But thanks so much for everything, and thanks for You're stopping welcome. by. Thank you. Let's take a moment now to listen in as one of South Dakota's iconic tourist attractions is decorated. The world's only corn palace in Mitchell attracts around 500,000 visitors a year from across the nation. They come to see the outdoor murals crafted from native grasses and naturally colored corn in 12 different colors. The facility is also a gathering place for local residents and home to festivals and dances, meetings and graduations. SDPB's Marissa Brunkhorst wanted to know more about the people who make the murals happen. So she talked with Corn Palace decorator Dakota Becker. So at the Corn Palace, uh, we're here doing our daily job of tying together bundles and cutting them to get ready to hang on to the Corn Palace. Um, and every day, morning starts at 7 o'clock and we'll come in and we'll just start grabbing uh, bundles of rye or uh, we'll go out to fields and pick sourdough. And then once we have enough for the day, we'll come back here and we will uh, stand at the tie tables and we will use rebar ties to tie them into uh, bundles that we will cut and hang on to the building. Mostly a year-round process. We start at the beginning of May and we end in the middle of August for the grasses around the murals. And then the actual corn mural redesign and take down and put back up happens from September to around January. Yeah, I think the Corn Palace is a good spot for our uh, local high school events. We have a lot of basketball games and stuff here along with uh, we have like fall festivals and we have concerts here and there. I think it's just a spot that most people kind of call the place where you go to watch things happen. And 
You can see Dakota Becker and his colleagues at work on SDPB's Instagram feed. More in the Moment is coming up after the break, including new music from Fresh Tracks. You're on listener-supported SDPB Radio. to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, if you walk out of City Hall in Vermilion, you'll be greeted by a beautiful and temporary sight. The Packard Group National Exhibition 2023 features more than 90 prints of original work. Those prints are pasted on the exterior north wall at 7 Center Street in Vermilion. They're up today through September 22nd or until the temporary outdoor exhibition succumbs to the extreme South Dakota elements. The art was juried by Miss Art World South Dakota, our friend Clara Lockhart, and she is with us now from SDPB Studios on the University of South Dakota campus. Hey, Claire. Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight to chat about art with you. I just have one of the best jobs of the at, of the in the world. As <laughs> like, I'm Claire's next. I'm just having the best day. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. So the last time we talked about this process, and we'll spin people up on it in a minute. But you were in the ice and snow. And oh yes. Now, now it's like 109,000 degrees, and you're out there at it again. So tell people a little bit about the installation process <laughs> this time. So I am using a process called wheat pasting, and I'm essentially gluing paper artwork, so prints of over 90 works of war- art, to the exterior of the Number Seven Center Gallery here in Vermilion. And I am really testing the longevity and <laughs> strength of my wheat paste process. (laughs) (laughs) And that's part of why I kind of love this idea of an exhibition, because it is ephemeral. It is temporary. It's going to change day by day. The art that you see on Tuesday is not necessarily the art that you see on Friday. Why do this? I enjoy doing this because here in Vermilion, we have so much amazing public art and the number seven center gallery space is flanked by these amazing murals. So it feels like we just have to contribute to the community of art. And also this is one of our national exhibitions hosted by the Packard Group, which allows me to showcase artwork from artists across the United States in one location. That doesn't happen every day. We love our we love our local artists, but bringing in this long list of artists featured in the exhibition. When you were curating this, what were you looking for? I was looking for artwork that artists are passionate about. There is such a variety. I leave the Packard Group exhibition theme open because I love seeing what people are working on right now from across the country. So there's fiber art, paintings, photography, digital art. There are assemblages and it's just amazing that I get to handle such fabulous artists and their work. So to be clear, that's the original art isn't out there deteriorating. You make oh, a no. print of this. <laughs> Fear not, people. We did not ask these people to. Um, are you noticing themes? Are you noticing things that artists are doing now, especially as we move beyond the, the height of the pandemic and see the residuals of that? 
The thing that stood out the most to me with this year's Amazing Artists is the color. This is one of the most colorful exhibitions I've been able to curate here in Vermilion. It's like everybody got into the phthalo blue and the magenta and had a wild time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Packer Group does all the professional printing for us, so the artists send us photographs or the digital copies of their work, and then I work with the Packer Group to professionally print this art. And the ink that was used well it was a lot but it looks gorgeous (laughs) what do you think's happening there as you follow the art world the the robust color all of a sudden what does that tell you about what's on people's minds i i hope it means that we're just moving into a trend where people are doing what they want because it makes them happy because it draws attention to them I know there's been like a lot of trend with minimalism and using neutral colors and that stands out and that's important too but I think it's fun to have a break from that and be vibrant and be loud and just show off the amazing things that we're doing. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about public art in Vermilion because there are these mur- murals if you haven't been there lately. What Public art, you don't, have to, you don't have to go into a gallery. If that's not your jam, you do not have to, to walk into an art gallery. Many people feel like that space is not for them. What does public art in a town like Vermilion have to offer? Oh, the public art just really makes our community stand out. And when we have people coming in from out of town, like I know some of the artists are traveling out of state to be here at this reception tonight from five to seven, but they will go around and admire this amazing work that's going on. Like right now, there's a mural nearby downtown Vermilion that's headed up by Reina Hernandez and Amber Hansen. And it's been so fun to see that process. But with our exhibition, so we have the art outside, but I do want to mention that our reception is <laughs> indoors I was gonna bring in that the up, air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard pass if it's outside right now. No, right. you're inside in the AC. That's good. Yes, and I want to make sure that everyone knows that it's a very welcoming, inviting space. I mean, we're inside, we're in the air conditioning, and I'll have the famous art reception Lunchables, you know, the little crackers and cheese, yep, but right. they're fancy. Yeah. <laughs> We call it charcuterie now. We gave it a better name, <laughs> and then it got better. It got tastier, and we called it something nicer. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've been arranging cheeses all morning. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> which brings me to this question, which is like, what are you working on right now? I love your art. I love to see what you what's on your mind. Well, I have been really busy painting dudes in man caves with oil on canvas, and I actually have an upcoming exhibition at the doll and that opens on first friday in rapid city on september 1st nice we might have to have you come back to talk about that but i've seen a few of these and just um the did you say oil did you say (laughs) yes yes okay like this a big this is like permanent oil painting the kind of things that people were doing in the what the whatever century and man cave that's the theme that you picked Yes, I'm painting these lounging dudes in man caves because I'm essentially picking fights with historic painters like from the 19th century that would paint all those women, you know, paint me like your French girls kind of stuff. Lounging (laughs) with a book, right? Lounging (laughs) with a a foofy dog at your feet. Now they're lounging with a six pack, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But not the abs, the beverage. The beverage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's the Packer Group. It's the show opening reception. Tonight at the number seven gallery in um, 
vermilion, five to seven, indoors, and then you can watch these art pieces outdoors change over time. Claire Lockhart, thank you so much. It's always a delight to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. And now get ready to take a musical sonic journey this Friday. Let's meet our guides. David Hersrud is a Sturgis native who has spent years immersed in the music industry. Larry Rohr is a familiar face and voice at SDPB. He's also a music enthusiast. For today's episode of Fresh Tracks, they're going to introduce you to some new tunes. So turn on your imagination and open your ears. Let's take a listen. We have some very bold and intrepid listeners and, and I thought it would be wonderful to play some music uh, that is really totally and completely unique. The first album we have is from Anoni and the Johnsons. The album is called My Back Was a Bridge for You to Cross. This is her first album since 2016. She has this multiple octave tremulous voice that just is almost impossible for you to put out of your mind. I just love listening to it. it it's so unique, so different, and very warm, I would say. to so many different type of things and search worldwide to, to find music to enjoy. How do you make this style of music a commercial success? The first thing you have to have is you have to have champions like Lou Reed okay. who will go out and promote the artists and make sure that they can find a label deal somewhere. I find particularly for me, it, it, it's one of the reasons why I like public radio because they play so much different type of music, music that you're not ex exposed to on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a hundred thousand songs added to streaming every single day. I mean, how do you get through that? It's almost impossible. So you have to, you know, have, have somebody that can curate it for you. You hit on the key word and that's a curator. Well, one of the things that I hope that we do here on Fresh Tracks is introduce people to new and different music that they're probably not going to hear if they're punching the buttons on their AM or FM radio. Well, I think we're headed down that path. Let's talk about Sigaros. The album is Atta, and where are these people from? Well, they're from Iceland. Believe it or not, they've been around since 1994. And this is their eighth album. Personally, I think they are probably one of the most totally unique bands in the world. It's kind of ethereal music that they that is sung in Icelandic 
Well, they have this non-linguistic vocalization that they call Vonanesca. Vonanesca. Yeah. Okay. The lead singer for Sigur Rós goes by the name Jonesy, uh, Johnsy, depending on uh, okay. how you want to take a look at the pronunciation. He sings in a falsetto that I find unbelievable, and they've gone through eight albums. Music is complex, and on this particular album, they added a 32-piece orchestra. The interesting thing about Sigur Rós's albums, talked a little bit a couple times ago about Paul Simon's uh, Seven Psalms, his mm-hmm. latest album, 33 minutes long. He specifies needed to be uh, listened to in one sitting. Don't go from song to song. Listen to the whole album. Atta is 56 minutes long. I guess for lack of a better term, I would call it a sonic journey that uh, should be heard in a single setting. After a hard day at the office or, you know, you just need to put something on and just take that sound bath Mm -hmm. or musical cleansing. I like that idea where they're asking you to invest in it with a little more time. Before we get done, we're a few weeks away from the passing of Tony Bennett but tell me why you liked him so much. Well, he was a great entertainer, but he was also a class act. For example, I don't think there was a singer who didn't record Fly Me to the Moon in the 60s. But the first time I heard Tony Bennett sing it, it was different. He had an ability to take a song like that and make it sound like you were hearing it for the first time. Fly me to the moon And let me play among the stars His warmth, his character always came through. And I just think he brought out the best in the people he worked with. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The other special thing about music, I think everyone knows, late in his career, Tony Bennett was having memory issues. But isn't it amazing, but when they begin to sing and you put the combination of words and music together, it all comes back. I mean, and that's the beauty of the form, of the art. Yeah. David Herzrud is our musical guide as always. Take a sonic journey, enjoy the music of Anoni and the Johnsons. My back was a bridge for you to cross. And Sigur Rós, the music from Iceland on the album Ada. And let's uh, let's close it out and fly away with Tony Bennett. Thanks, David. What a beautiful way to end the show. My love waits there In San Francisco the blue and windy sea. Mm. And that 
is our show for today. We hope that it served you. If you want more on Fresh Tracks, go to sdpb.org slash music. Well, on Mondays in the moment, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony takes center stage. It is our final summer with the symphony of the season. Matt Wiesner is your guide. As always, if you can't tune in live to In the Moment, you can subscribe to the In the Moment podcast that is available on most podcasting platforms. In the Moment's producer, executive producer, I should say, is Kara Hetland. Our producers are Ellen Kester and Ari Youngman. Our engineer is Colton Nicholson and our videographer, Jordan Henderson. This week, we featured work from SDPB's Jackson Thorson, Larry Rohr, Marissa Brunkhurst, and Lee Sturbinger. We are always grateful for the support of our friends of SDPB team and our SDPB team in Rapid City for helping greet our in-studio guests and getting them comfortable on air. I am your host, Lori Walsh, and from all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, have an excellent weekend, and thank you for listening.